Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Ritz podcast, volume 12, issue 588, and today we're going to talk about Super Castlevania 4. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue we have Leah Haydu. What is a man? We haven't, we haven't gotten there yet, but I, I, mean, I am curious. Yeah, <laughs> why aren't we all? <laughs> and Michiel Croder. Har, 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 har. <laughs> Was that Fred Scare or Paula Abghul? <laughs> Neither. Must have, been, must have been Fred. There's a yeah. lot of enemies and uh, bosses in the game will make that curious sound. Curious indeed. They were having fun with the new technology, which we'll get into, of course. So first thing of note about this game really is that it's, oh my God, it's a remake. Gah, the industry, eh? What's it coming to 30 years ago? Remakes, eh? Akumajo Dracula, it was released in Japan under exactly the same title as the Famicom original. Not even a, no addendum, suffix, anything, no super this or whatever. It was just, yep, yeah, here you go. Here's Akumajo Dracula again, albeit on the Super Famicom. But note uh, that in the West, they were trying to uh, for, very forcefully you know, yeah. deny that it was a remake of any sort. Absolutely. Super yeah. Castlevania 4. A remake um, that was uh, so apparently something very taboo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I think also, I mean, partly it, I think it was certainly in Europe where, uh, or well, in the UK at least, where the NES hadn't been such a massive deal. Um, it sort of made sense for it to have a new name and for it to be a, a sequel to, so as not to cause any confusion or anyone thinking this was some kind of old tat. Um, it's it's a requel because, see, yeah. it's a remake and also a sequel. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy VII Remake. You know, it's yeah. not exactly the same, but it's, it's got a lot of that. the same features. That's true enough. Yeah. And the yeah. title also, Super Castlevania Four, makes you wonder... What happened to Super Castlevania 1, 2, and 3? Indeed. It's all very confusing and suboptimal, but here we are. We know we know the deal. Uh, for those who are unaware and who haven't been following along with these shows, these are 2D horror-themed platformers with whipping. Uh, and the eighth release, confusingly, in the Castlevania franchise at this point... The in-game prologue text for Super Castlevania 4 in the North American version is different from the Japanese prologue with an extra line claiming that it was uh, that once again Simon Belmont is called upon to destroy Dracula in order to force the game into being a sequel to Simon's Quest, which we covered previously when it wasn't really originally one. That's from the Castlevania wiki. But we know the truth. So what are our histories with this one? Mikhail... What is my history? It's a long history, spanning uh, all the way back to 1992, early 1992, or maybe even 1991. 30 uh, years plus. Yeah, I think 1991, I might have seen some first muddy in-development screenshots of the game in some uh, magazines. And then early 1992, I was uh, doing this uh, sort of uh, internship deal uh, in high school where you know, you spend like uh, four days in an office uh, to uh, prepare you for how soul-draining uh, grown-up life can be. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I was staying in the middle of Amsterdam at a bank. I was doing my little internship there. And in the uh, lunch breaks, I would walk down 
into the high street in the center of the city and visit this import video game store. And they had uh, Akumajo Dracula in there, so the uh, um, Japanese version of uh, Super Castlevania 4. Um, and I was uh, kind of smitten just, you know, with the attract mode, with the uh, the demo running and like the, all the little details in there, the bats flying up and uh, the, the, the gravestone intro with the text scroll, the, the fog rolling over the screen. Uh, and also, uh, funnily enough, uh, this, of course, was censored in the Western version, but the Japanese version had this blood dripping from yeah. the logo as well. Gnarly. So, and I think then it was later in 92 uh, when we had our Super Nintendo already, and uh, I think it, this was yeah near the end of the summer that we uh, that Super Castlevania 4 became available. Uh, we bought it, and um, it was one of those first games, I guess, because the, the games we had before that were Super Tennis, Super Mario World, and F-Zero, that felt like... You know the the our new video game system doing more realistic looking graphics with really realistically proportioned characters and all that, uh, and and really um, yeah, it felt like oh we're playing a grown up game now. You know, like mm. uh, something that uh, something of the the caliber of the the more serious looking games that I've been ogling on people's Mega Drives and Amigas and and what have you. Yeah, um, and <laughs> yeah, it was a real audio-visual treat for us. Uh, and also, we kind of just, me and my brother, we kind of, like, beat the game over the first weekend that we got it, which was, which almost made us ah. go back to the shop and exchange it again, because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's what's the use? We spent, There's no uh, New Game Plus. There's no, no extra difficulty levels. There, there kind of is, actually. I discovered uh, today, or I verified today. Oh, Luke uh, there's, 2. There's a Loop 2, yeah, uh, which you okay. could uh, go into. But, um, yeah, it felt like, oh, now we've seen the whole game already, you know, and, mm. and, and we've spent quite a lot of money on that. We could also just exchange it for something fresh yeah. that we haven't played yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we decided in the end against that. Uh, and the reason is, and it's a major reason, I guess, why I love this game so much, uh, that it's it was just so incredibly enjoyable to play and uh we really grew very fond of its uh yeah audio and visual design when, uh, mm. when we played it so we couldn't we couldn't just part ways with it so we held yeah. on to it and uh is that the copy you still got no no i sold all my super nintendo stuff off so the copy i now have is a uh, north american uh, oddly square shaped rectangular shaped uh, mm. cartridge with the dark uh, dark gray plastic, uh, yeah, it's a North American copy uh, of the game, like a mm. North American cartridge. Okay, uh, Leah. Speaking of North American cartridges, <laughs> yes. Well, I, as I've uh, brought up numerous times, I didn't yeah. have a SNES, mm. um, so I didn't play Super Castlevania Four until uh, sometime later. I think I had probably. Well, I, I definitely played it uh, probably a few times, like at friends' houses or, you know, just in visiting other people who did have uh, Super Nintendos, but I never got very far. I think this was probably uh, in, in a time where I was definitely interested in Castlevania, but I hadn't had a ton of experience with it yet. So I don't think that I actually went back and played through the whole game, probably until it was on the virtual console of the Wii 
Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly what year that would have been, but I, I played through it then. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would have played through it then um, when I was really getting into as much Castlevania stuff as I could kind of get my hands on and um, found it to be. Well, I, I mean, we'll we'll talk about this uh, later on, but it, it to me felt more approachable than some of the earlier Castlevania games. So sure. I, I stuck with it a little bit more, but I I don't know when the first time I actually completed the game was uh, it was definitely before i started keeping my spreadsheets of games that i had completed <laughs> so there's that at least but um yeah i i don't have an extensive history with it but it is a game that i've gone back to in various formats uh over the years and uh you know really enjoyed my time with yeah i think really to all intents and purposes this was my first castlevania i had played a little haunted castle at the arcades uh go back and listen to that, that that show uh to hear how far i got that wall at the start maybe <laughs> slightly further um didn't necessarily fill me with uh excitement about the castlevania games although yeah audio visually it was quite exciting i think i was vaguely aware of the the nes famicom games but as i say not much of a big deal in the uk and i didn't have one so um i think there was actually i think we talked about this on the previous podcast there was like an amiga conversion of the original castlevania but i didn't have that either so yeah this was really my way in and i think um you know this this and then the the the, the symphony of the night the ps1 game being my most of my formative castlevania experiences probably has made my going back to the particularly the the nes games more challenging than it might have been just in the sense of when you're kind of when you have control taken away from you um and niceties uh it can sometimes feel a lot harsher but uh but yeah i i got this i guess i got my pal super nintendo i think it was early 94 and I would have bought this relatively early on over that next sort of 18-month period. Halcyon days, I was absolutely demolishing Super Nintendo games at that point. I had some income and was uh, just, yeah, buying game after game after game and, and was on a pretty good run of finishing them as well. And, um, yeah, I don't actually, weirdly, going back to this, playing it on the uh, the collection that we've referenced so many times from 2019, curated by M2, um, I don't actually remember the the latter stages giving me as much trouble then as they did now. And and obviously I realise I'm 30 years old and nearly, which could be part of it, but it doesn't normally work out that way. Um, I think I just, uh, yeah, I was just in a groove at the time. With, I, I um... found that too, to be fair. Like, okay. I, yeah. I, it was, yeah, I, um, I, I didn't mention, but I also um, played most recently to kind of refresh yeah. myself on the collection and... Um, those last couple of stages, especially yeah. where the where you get into kind of the the boss, it's not exactly yeah. a boss rush, but the the it's kind of um, yeah con the the sequential bosses there. Yeah. It's um, it, I found myself utilizing the save states there um, yeah. just to kind of get myself through it. So yeah, but obviously, I also had a very similar experience, and I think also a big part of that is because uh, yeah. I've Replayed the game many times. Also, I got it on the Wii Virtual Console uh, mm. because uh, that came out before I rebought the Super Nintendo again. Yeah, uh, and the game. Um, and I think a big part of it also is that um, you know I've played it 
many times, but playing I haven't played it all the way through as much as I've just started going through the first few levels, you know, and then uh, just mm, just leaving yes. it there again. So yeah. the the there's a lack of familiarity in the later stages. But yeah. it, I was also taking it back, like playing it again over the last weekend, and I've actually done a live stream of it on the same cartridge uh, on Kenny Rince's Twitch, uh, like a couple of years back during uh, Halloween. Oh yeah, the first year I started streaming, right. and also I, I had similar hangups there. Mm. And but the funny thing is, like I remember those stages being still, you know, harder than the earlier stages, but still being quite quite easy. And mm. I also was thinking, like, I had these like foolproof tactics to get through them without taking taking damage whatsoever, you know. And it took me a while now, yet again, to figure out, okay, yeah, this was, you know, this was the safe spot. I needed to stand here and and shield yeah. myself with my whip in this manner, and then yeah. basically nothing could hurt me, you know. We just had full foolproof ways of of getting through some of those later yeah. boss fights and later stages that were just. You know, not fresh in my memory anymore. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, we'll get in, into the game's design. It is certainly more kind of, it feels, yeah, fairer and there's there's more ways of tackling things and there's less kind of absolutely brutal, you're either going to do this or you're going to die kind of moments. But it's yeah. still it's still recognisably a challenging game of the era, I would say. it's It, it has this reputation for being, you know, much easier, but that doesn't mean it's not a game with, uh, you know, a game without without its uh, its difficult moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I I beat that PAL cartridge. I know I did at some point, um, even though I don't have memories of battering my head against the wall. Um, obviously, the PAL version was runs a little slower, which is both a blessing and a curse in some ways. It's a bit less responsive, but also you have more time to kind of see enemy projectiles coming towards you and things like that. And this is an interesting um, thing as well that I noticed because I've been always playing on a PAL version. And then I right. got the North American card, yeah. uh, which, and I used my modded PAL Super Nintendo to play it in 60 hertz. And ah. then the slowdown actually becomes more apparent because there's a bigger gap between the game running right. at full 60 frames yes. a second and then having these frame drops. Yeah. So it, it actually felt more jarring, jarring in place to play the 60 hertz version. That's yeah, that is true, and um, and it's beautifully emulated in the M2 versions as well. The slowdown <laughs> yeah. is absolutely one to one as far as I could work out, because that's yeah. the kind of thing M2 does. Sometimes they'll give you an option to kind of deactivate the original processor issues, but not in this one. You just play yeah. it, and it's like it was, which is fine. Um, but we'll talk about whether that's actually a yeah something we consider a a, a negative or not later on. Developed by Konami, obviously. Uh, the prototype was actually developed. This was such an early Super Famicom game that the early prototypes were developed on Famicom and NES hardware. The development team went through a period of six months of crunch to make this game, apparently. Uh, Imagine before... doing this in six months. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't called that then. It was just normal standard working practices. Yeah. Um the original uh, planned 4 megabit, 1 megabyte cartridge was doubled in size during development to accommodate extra audio samples and graphical variety. Uh, so it cost them more to produce, presumably. Um, full price game, obviously, published by Konami themselves. Directed by Masahiro Ueno, his only Castlevania game, in fact. And the lead designer, Kazumichi Ishihara, and artist, actually... Uh, 
They formed a relationship during the development of this game, Ueno and Nishihara, and, and married during the development of the game. So, Super Castlevania 4. There might even be Super Castlevania 4 babies out there somewhere. Maybe uh, those uh, dancing ghost couples are a reference to the, the lucky couple, the Could happy be. couple. There's a, there's a wedding at the end of the uh, of Haunted Castle Arcade, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, uh, at the beginning as well. It gets broken the, up. Yeah, good point. Uh, Satoshi Kushibuchi also worked on the art, and uh, Kushibuchi would go on to direct two of the DS Castlevanias, Dawn of Sorrow and Portrait of Ruin, which hopefully we'll come to at some point in the future on the Kane and Rinse podcast. <coughs> it was coded by Ueno along with uh, Mitsuru Yaida, who would go on to uh, be part of the team that would form Treasure of ex Konami developers. Composers include Masanori Adachi, who worked on the Aliens arcade game, Contra 3, which we've covered, Rocket Knight Adventures, Snatcher, and Moon Remix RPG. And the other composer, Taro Kudo, worked on Axelay, among others. It was released for the Super Famicom and the SNES October 31st, Halloween 1991 in Japan. Arrived in North America in December, just in time for Christmas. And then it just just in time for the following Christmas in Europe, because it was the old days, November 1992. The regional variations are pretty much the same as the other games in the series up to this point. So that blood that Mikhail mentioned is gone in the Western versions, the crucifixes, crosses on the coffins and on the gravestones are gone. And there's some enemies skating about in the nud on the Japanese version as well. Uh, Japanese versions were, were available, added as an update to the collection versions. So you can play those on your current consoles if you want. I have to say, I really love the art on the Japanese box art here um <laughs> specifically because there is a uh like a headshot of dracula <laughs> and he just looks startled kind He's of so mad. like oh no yeah. it's a belmont <laughs> i don't know i just i i find that very entertaining i love like older you know 90s box art it's it's fantastic i also love the japanese logo script i just think it the beautiful purple into red i think it looks so cool um, but yes, the the actual quality of the art. I mean, you know, there's uh, so there's the Western cover that people may be more familiar with is by Tom Dubois, who did loads of these covers. Those are pretty good. Those uh, yeah, Western classic fantasy art. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you could probably make an argument that actually the the, the Western one is kind of be a better painting than the than the Japanese one uh, on this occasion. Um, but yeah, lots same of fun. with uh, same with Contra Three. Actually, mm. uh, I have the uh, Japanese card of that uh, Contra Spirits, and it's just uh, yeah, it's not as good as the Western art. There, it's it's a, one of those rare occasions um, where they just traced over some Arnie uh, yeah. poster art and uh, and that sort of stuff. You know, so yeah, it wasn't released again, uh, as far as I can ascertain, until the Wii eShop, and that was December two thousand six. Uh, obviously, the PAL version was on the PAL eShop again, just like you remembered. However, I think that situation changed the next time it was released, which was the Wii U uh, eShop versions for Virtual Console in September, October 2013. But uh, there are some some slight disappointments with SNES emulation on the Wii U in general. It's, you know, it's functional, but it's a bit dull looking and washed out and not not the best. After that, 
the new 3DS, of course, got a, a bunch of Virtual Console Super NES titles uh, right late in its life, I guess you could say, 2016, uh, September, October. And then the most recent official release, because I don't think it's on the, understandably, I suppose it's not on the Switch um, SNES service because you can buy it currently. I guess that's why those games aren't on there. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Maybe it is on there. I'm now doubting myself anyway. But it was, weirdly, it's on the American and European Super NES Classic Edition mini consoles in 2017, but it was not included on the Japanese one. But of course, you can easily hack those things and add whichever ROMs you like. Uh, Old Game Rankings Reviews has the game at 82%. I'm not sure how many reviews that was uh, from the time or how many retro re-release reviews, but anyway, a positive score. Just as it has from users on Nintendo Life, 8.6 out of 10 from 390 and sales are reported as a little over 500,000 copies worldwide. No idea about digital sales, as always. We'll issue a spoiler warning, but really, this is the same story. I mean, yes, unless uh, let, let's assume the Japanese version is canon, and therefore it is a retelling of the first game. In the peaceful country of Transylvania, there is a legend of an evil castle and its master, the Prince of Darkness, Dracula. Once every hundred years, the powers of good mysteriously weaken and evil attempts to resurrect Dracula. It's up to the Belmont clan to take up the eternal fight against the vampire. Players take on the role of Simon Belmont, armed with a legendary whip of vampire killer to defeat Dracula and his evil minions. Luckily, Simon has many additional weapons at his disposal, including axes, holy water, crosses, knives, and even a magical stopwatch that can stop the flow of time for a spell. Simon must travel through 11 stages, beginning in the countryside, to reach Dracula's castle, all the while covering perilous traps and hideous monsters. Only the power of the Belmonts can quell the looming darkness. I mean, we, I guess we've... Have we, have we said in previous shows everything that needs to be said about the kind of the, the setting and the scenario? We sort of commented on the original game about it being a kind of grab bag of classic horror monsters, some of which many of which kind of make reappearances in here anything either of you want to add or yeah I, elaborate well upon? i mean just just with regard to the kind of the um the setting it it's not quite the same as the original castlevania mm. one because you don't start in the castle like you have right. to kind of build up to the castle so that's a mm. little bit of a difference and i guess that's why it could be considered not quite a straight up remake Mm-hmm. It's um, almost but, a bit of a fake out, right? Like it yeah, looks like you're starting bit, at the castle. Because you kind of feel then... like, oh, you know, you, you don't get into the oh, I've seen this before until you're uh, a considerable mm. ways into the game. Yeah, but also like you start up like outside this uh, sort of castle walls with a drawbridge, but then it's just more of like a, an out uh, an outpost mm. with some stables attached to it. It's not actually the castle <laughs> yeah. that you go into. Super Castlevania 4's story-wise, according to Moby Games, a remake of the first game, set in the year 1691, the game cast a player in the role of Simon Belmont, vampire hunter armed with, armed with the whip, on a quest to defeat Count Dracula. Despite the identical plot, as Leo was just saying, the six castle stages have different layouts and themes, also five initial stages that depict Simon's advancement towards the castle through various environments have been added. The gameplay consists of traversing timed linear platform stages, defeating enemies with the whip or sub-weapons that require collecting hearts, can be found by destroying parts of the scenery. Simon's standout ability in this installment are eight directional attacks. 
with his whip, which allow him, among others, to damage enemies standing below and above him. Holding out the whip will block enemy attacks. Simon can also latch his whip on special grappling points to swing over pits and obstacles. Game progression is saved by passwords given to the player after the stage has been completed. Visually, the game uses hardware mode 7 effects such as parallax scrolling, rotating rooms and pseudo 3D objects in some locations. Boy, does <laughs> Yeah. Maybe also sure another more subtle difference in presentation or presentation approach of the uh, overall narrative is, of course, that the uh, NES trilogy has these uh, film reel borders yeah. across the uh, you know the, the the title screen and the That's presentation right. and all that. It's almost as if they're saying, no, it's no longer a movie. Now this is actually the real story. Huh. This is Castlevania for real. That's a really interesting point that I hadn't even thought about until you just said it. I wonder if there's anything in the fact that... So we've mentioned Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula before in these shows. Yeah. Uh, Lee and I are both fans. I don't know about you, Mikhail. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I really like that movie as well. Dis- despite uh, despite certain elements of it. Um, yeah. And this that, that was 92, wasn't it? That was released. Um, yeah, yeah. So it would have been in development yeah. at the same time as this game, I guess. Um, mm, yeah. Possibly I would irrelevant. I would pay good money for a Castlevania game that starred Gary Oldman. I'm pretty sure there was there was a like oh, yeah. a movie tying game. Wasn't oh yeah, there? I have vague oh, memories yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a few versions of it. Some more abysmal than others. <laughs> uh, yeah, there sounds was like something I should version. look up on totally yeah, definitely. services. Yeah, I, there, there's there's plenty of footage out there. Um, you get to play Jonathan Harker doing John Wick Matrix moves as just like he does in the film, right? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of um, sort of cringing and clutching his face and and mangling the the English accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we're we're not covering the uh, video game of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> yet in this series. <laughs> But you know, Leah, if you want to nominate it for uh, for next year, you'll have to you have to ditch Final Fantasy Ten Two and do that instead. I, I don't know. I'll I'll have to I'll it's have to give call. it some thought. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Uh, let's hear from from some correspondents. Joba Bonobo from our forum says: first thing to notice straight away is the game really is a looker. The title screen with the various creepy crawlies scuttling over the walls, followed by the appearance of shadows belonging to bats. Makes for a very strong first impression. Really shows how big of a leap the move to 16-bit hardware represented. This is accentuated even further by the level design itself with rotating towers where you have to use your whip to hang on while looking for a safe place to land or the spinning backgrounds while you navigate crumbling platforms. This would have been mind-blowing stuff to a Castlevania fan raised on the NES. Can confirm. Apparently... Uh, one of the stages that was considered during development, well, there was there were two of note. One was a white water rafting canoe level, which got cut, and the other was a tower toppler slash Castellian slash nebulous climb up a tower on the outside. So you'd oh, have yeah. a rotating outer tower. Um, you can imagine the sort of thing, but yeah, that didn't make it either. Uh, but obviously, the kind of bizarre rotating tunnel room did there is one that has a is it bloodlines that has yeah the... bloodlines has the yeah like tower. i have yeah. i have pretty vivid memories of like circling a tower and then you find like a bat or something at the top but yeah no i i knew it, obviously it wasn't this one but yeah wasn't even thinking about that until just now 
I think that's our next one of these, probably. Assuming we're all coming back next year. Tolkien from the forum. I don't think this is the same Tolkien as our, our other regular correspondent, Tolkien Taters. That's Tolkien Taters, yeah. This is the actual Tolkien. This is actual Tolkien from beyond the grave. Yeah. I will always remember the first level of the game when you arrive at the castle, the animation of Simon whipping with the castle looking ominous in front of him. The first time you have control, you see in the background a huge stone skull with bats coming out of the empty eye cavity. You enter through the castle door and then a fence comes up in the background. Organ plays and you have the feel that this is going to be epic. Yeah, it sort of leads us into discussing the visuals and the technical side of things as well. So, yeah, I think, um, Mikhail, you're probably the only one who came at this sequentially. Would that be right? In terms of you had played 8-bit Castlevanias and then you played a 16-bit Castlevania? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't played Castlevania 3, though, but right. uh, I saw that uh, in that same shop uh, that I saw uh, Akumacho Dracula or the Japanese version of Super Castlevania 4 in. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, Everything is so much bigger and bolder and grandioser, right? It's uh, mm. and uh, and despite the sort of horror atmosphere of it, um, I find it charmingly colorful as well. The game is mm. like the, the the greens are deep and fluorescent almost, and the the purple skies and uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, um, yeah saturated colors in here as well at the same time. What I would say is uh, I, I like the way this game looks. I love 16-bit pixel art and I love Konami's work from this period. I think they were magnificent. What I would say is I think maybe this game has a, a little bit of... Uh, you, you can tell that it was a project that was started in the 8-bit era and moved, kind of moved on to 16-bit. Outside of the the Mode 7 stages with sprite manipulation and whatever else... There's a there's there's a slight abstract messiness to some of the backdrops I think that doesn't have the quite the same kind of um almost cartoon quality that Konami and certainly Capcom as well um would go on to kind of produce for the for the Super Nintendo and and the Mega Drive to an extent as well. This looks like a game that where the artists and the developers were still used to using kind of very obvious tile sets and building yeah. screens out of that rather than kind of finding ways to disguise it and make it look more organic. But I would for, agree for with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I would I agree with like... that. With that, And there's some weird looking blotches of environment in there, especially some of the natural mm. sort of uh, backgrounds. Uh, but at the same time, you can also see like, oh, they didn't just endlessly repeat tiles over and over again in yeah. a lot of areas. Like, uh, for example, in the uh, Forest of Monsters stage, when you're up high in those bridges, first you have a bridge that's sort of like banged together with planks, mm. and then there's a like a little ropey bridge, you know, right. right right after it. And they could have just easily, you know, repeated the same bridge just yeah. uh, o over again. So you, they 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 did go Maybe above and beyond with a lot of. That the producer went to the or the the director went to the producer and said, "We need to double the cartridge size." I want, yeah. <laughs> a, I want a different kind of bridge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, the, you can see that they went above and beyond to add extra detail. And all these little details in the environment as well. On that same bridge, if you jump up and down, the rope uh, on the bridge starts spinning, you know. And it's those <laughs> things that they sh 
nobody would have uh, minded if they wouldn't have added that. But the fact that it's there, those little details, is uh, mm. it just shows you how much care went into the presentation of the game. Yeah. I have kind of a weird question, uh, and I don't know if there's an answer floating around for this, but mm. was there ever any backlash or commentary on the fact that that the sprites are so big and it is so colorful? Like, mm. I... I, I'm trying to think of how to put this so that I'm not like saying this as a negative, but it almost seems more like like appealing to a younger audience. Like I don't I don't exactly want to say kitty because I I don't think that's the case, but I think mm. that some some internet jerks may have been may have had that that kind of <laughs> probably opinion. like I can see where that where that could have been brought up as an argument against it, and I, it would have been if it was whether anybody heard anything about it. If, tw- if Twitter had been around then, flash. for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but no, the, I, I, I don't think so. I, for to us, it looked like a yeah, like more more like a mature game, just very bold and colorful at the same time, mm. you know, but not cartoony or anything like I that. I bet there's somebody out not there kidding. at least who uh, you know. Yes, and and I can almost understand I mean, it. There's like, always that one guy, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure, I, yeah. I, I I'm glad to hear that. I I hope it didn't, but um, you know. I think it's broadly very well thought of. I think, yeah, if it if it was announced and released now, obviously, you know, it's an impossible thing to imagine because of the, the nature of technology and whatever. But yes, it would be roundly criticised for being unoriginal, a remake, and not looking like they exactly how they dreamt it would look in their mind's eye. Because yeah, that's the that's the, that's the meta discourse these days, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, from the time all I re- all I remember from magazines, previews, and any correspondence in magazines was wow, like Castlevania's 16 bit. Now this is really cool. Yeah. Um, wiggly whip and all <laughs> Davis from our Patreon uh, is less keen on super Castlevania four. So they are out there. I find super Castlevania four one of the less interesting entries of the series. Personally, the medieval art style and music don't play to the SNES's strengths at all, resulting in a game that's just muddy and subdued sounding in contrast to how vibrant every other game in the series is. <laughs> it's not all bad, of course, but still, I'm glad Rondo of Blood and Bloodlines shaped the series' identity going forward. So Davis almost makes it sound like they w- they wanted the game to be even more kind of yeah. exuberantly colourful in, in the 16-bit era. I think the game, it's a game of contrasts, you know? it It's it's very dark, but then the, the highlighted colours are very vibrant again i mean maybe, mm. maybe that's it it's let it, mm. there's less uh like run of blood maybe feels more like you know there's more uh more lighting there's more lights shining on everything mm. yeah interesting maybe that's maybe that's where the uh, difference in perception comes from alistair mcgregor from our also from our patreon is more positive though castlevania 4 was one of the first games i got on my shiny new super nintendo way back in the day it will come as no surprise that i think this is my favorite game in the series the graphics and monster design are still excellent. Additionally, the level design is also a highlight as it feels like you're on this epic journey to the top of the castle. It also has a very approachable difficulty compared to most of the games in the series and the music is just god tier. The reprise of the main theme when you're about to confront Dracula at the end gets me every time. I think the audio for this game garnered more correspondence and feedback than any other aspect. Does Spectacular. That, does that? Yeah. Is. 
That makes okay, sense so here's where I have to um, do the thing that's probably going to get me um, in trouble <laughs> with people and say that this is not my favorite Castlevania soundtrack. I okay. don't dislike it, sure. but I think that it is weaker than some of the ones that came before it. Now, there are definitely some standout tracks. Um, I, I, I'm a sucker for Bloody Tears and, you know, the, the main theme, of course, is always uh, great. But some of the original tracks in this one just didn't really do it for me. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear what other people have to say about the music, because like, like I said, I, far from disliking it, but not as exuberant about the music as I typically am about Castlevania yeah. soundtracks overall. I, th I think the um, the eight bit uh, the the classic um, Castlevania soundtracks are overall maybe more anthemic. Like they mm. have a very strong. Uh, we of course you they mean, had uh, to rely on melodies, right? Because exactly. all they had was beeps. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the, the, so, the white noise. So me and Leah, of course, did a uh, sound of play podcast on uh, yeah. the Castlevania OSTs up until including Symphony of the Night. Yeah, I was gonna say. I and, think we, I think we, uh, we ended at Symphony of the Night. Yeah, and we coined uh, the style of uh, your typical classic Castlevania soundtrack as uh, heroic gothic. I think mm. that's what the, the term we came up with. Um, and I think the OST in um, Super Castlevania Four is overall a little bit more moody, uh, melancholic, mm. and also in places very groovy and and swingy almost you know yeah. like uh and and it strikes a particular personal note with me the instrumentation the melodies the themes um that i can't shake and maybe more so than with uh the 8-bit castlevanias i feel if i hear one of those tracks i immediately picture picture the stage that they're attached to i feel like proper musical accompaniments of the journey that you're that you're on you know like every every theme is very much very closely uh, yeah like linked to the 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 overall presentation and the colors and the uh the overall atmosphere of each individual stage yeah i i'm in the really love this soundtrack camp i uh again partly possibly because it was my first castlevania but this always was the one for me that cemented this atmosphere of castlevania because although it does have all those kind of slightly mad jazz prog numbers yeah. in there which... that uh that um sunken city theme is just uh yeah amazing as well yeah there's some crazy stuff um but there's also yeah this as you say melancholic moody and obviously they were yeah experimenting or using samples for the first time as opposed to to chip tunes and obviously i'm a fan of of 8-bit chip sounds as well but it was uh, it was for me it was great to hear them making yeah noises that sounded like church organs and at least kind of gave a sense of flutes and and strings and whatever but actually it wouldn't be much as i'd enjoy it listening to orchestrated versions of these tunes um it, the fact that it sounds exactly like it sounds is now so you know in inextricably linked with my nostalgia of for this game and and the time in my life when I was playing this stuff that it has to sound exactly like it sounds and and it yeah it it just couldn't sound any other way and every time I turn it on I'm always looking forward to certain certain pieces yeah. of the music there probably are uh 
you know tracks that I'm less wedded to than others but I, but the overall sense is that's actually one of the things that I look forward to most about putting this game on is from the intro through through the uh the funky opening and then into the into the kind of moody and yeah mad jazz prog pieces yeah. as you as you go through the forest of months monsters yeah so good. <laughs> amazing um yeah so we got quite a bit on this andrew elmore says i think one of the most indicative statements of intent so to speak with castlevania 4 is that this is the game that marks the shift in focus on music for the series moving away from the 8-bit games emphasis on gothic symphonic metal and into darker jazz odysseys making use of the snes's sample based sound chip to play with a broad palette of instruments and voices Joba Bonobo says the music is a real highlight. The hopelessly oppressive organ when you first face Dracula is really incredible in the atmosphere that sets it that it sets up. This is then followed by the return of Simon Belmont's theme when Dracula on his last feet, and it really encourages you to finally take that blood sucking creep out. But the real highlight of the soundtrack is the beautiful piece that plays during the end and credits. It is a serene yet triumphant piece, and again is a great introduction to the power a new generation of consoles could pull. Psycho Hype says what stands out to me most in this game is the soundtrack. To me, the shift in musical style is the most distinctive thing about it. It feels like Konami really went the extra mile in creating a more ambient, less video gamey sound for Castlevania's 16-bit debut. It's strangely memorable in a way I wouldn't expect. I can't tell you the names of the songs like I could with the tracks from the previous games, but all I have to do is picture the levels themselves and those instrumental arrangements are there, right there in my mind. I'm thinking of early stages like the Underground Cavern where the soundtrack's staccato lute-like melody creates an almost perfect auditory backdrop to the drops of moisture falling from the limestone stalactites. How about the first time you step inside Dracula's castle proper and are greeted with a reverberating gothic pipe organ? Mm. This is the kind of music I would expect a 17th century vampire lord to greet me with. And what is up with that jazzy number that plays in the watery ruins stage? It sounds like the kind of music you might expect to hear during the intermission of a national public radio programme, not a Castlevania game, but it works. I actually prefer the one-off original tracks to the sampled arrangements of the classic songs like Vampire Killer and Bloody Tears that show up in the latter stages of the game. I've seen that comment a few times, actually, and maybe that's where you're coming from a bit, Leah, like the maybe, maybe the... Whereas you'd think that having those super strong melodies, those memorable, epic, iconic tunes in this scenario with this more kind of capable sound hardware should have shown them off at their best so far. But actually, I think for a lot of people, they the mixes aren't quite what they could have been. Maybe I just don't like jazz. Yeah. That, that do could I be just it. not like jazz? I thought I did. I'm sorry, I everybody. Really... I feel like I've let you all down. It's it's quite all right. Um, yes, I've a, I've a, my my granddad was a professional jazz musician. I grew up with jazz, and my friend Martin loathes all forms of jazz, and uh, it's something we fall out about from time to time. <laughs> Tolkien <laughs> from the forum says the music is just phenomenal. This game made me ask my mum to buy me that Casio PT10 toy piano to play the songs of Castlevania. And Blue Weasel Breath says, uh, there's a lot to like about this game. I especially dig the kind of jazz fusion vibe they're going for with the music. The whip flailing move is useful and neat, although it's a really silly manoeuvre when you think about the real life mechanics of it. Wriggling the whip around limply in the air like me trying to entertain my one-year-old by jingling keys at him. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that uh that sort of uh limpy wrist animation uh, made for some um jokes and comments from uh in our household that we probably wouldn't make these days anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I know the sort of thing. Yes, I'd actually yeah. forgotten. Let, let's get into the whole wiggly whip thing. So, <laughs> new new to new to this Castlevania. So, eight direction attack. Now, interestingly, there were development sketches from the first Akuma Joe Dracula Castlevania, which showed whipping in angles, 45 degree angles, up and down, but not eight way. Um, so this had been considered before, but for what, for reasons, probably processing, visual, they hadn't managed to include it in the, in the eight bit games, but beyond just eight, an eight way attack, which is obviously really handy compared to the limitations of the eight bit move sets that you'd had the wiggly whip. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember, I, I remember discovering it for the first time. I mean, I, I, I had the manual with the game, but probably hadn't read it or understood and just thinking this is kind of wacky now the the <laughs> damage that you do with it is quite pitiful but i'd actually completely forgotten until playing it for the show in the run-up to this that yeah if you just hold the whip out and let it hang down it becomes a kind of shield and as you alluded to mikhil that's actually one of the most useful moves in the game and something that really really would have helped with the challenges of the early games in the series Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of those uh, pesky fireballs that you had to whip with uh, extreme prejudice and timing. Yeah, you yeah. can just hold hold your whip out and let them crash into it. Leah, is this an area where you think do, do you consider the wiggly whip and the eight way, you know, something that was uh, like a a thank god you can finally do that enhancement or is it in some way a a betrayal of the purity of the Castlevania? <laughs> Um, no, I, I definitely uh, put the uh, the directional attack in particular to to a, quite a bit of use. Yeah. Um. It, it. I mean, it's you. You really can't deny that it's it's useful to be able to stand under a platform where something <laughs> yeah. nasty is and just whip up through the platform until it's dead, so that you don't have to face it. You know where it can actually hurt you. Um, I was not always great at, um, nailing the downward whips because, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to my knowledge, you kind of have to be jumping in order to do that really. Yeah. Um, unless I'm just not very good, which is possible. I will definitely agree. (laughs) Otherwise otherwise you just duck, duck and whip. Yes. Right. Right. It's kind of ghouls and ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the thing that I had forgotten about uh, was that there is a uh, different button for the sub weapons, like a, as opposed to just up and attack. Um, so that that took me a little while to remember uh, and to kind of automate in my head, rather than you know trying to to use my my sub weapons in the way that previous games had uh, to kind of you know make make myself um, do that instead. And did you use the wiggle and holding out the the the, the oh yeah no, that, well? the, the wiggle <laughs> the wiggle is is silly looking um but mm-hmm. it as as you guys have said yeah that's it's extremely useful um with especially when you have kind of um uh, the 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 one that I'm thinking about where I I remember using it quite a bit was in the fight with death towards the end. Um, yeah. when you have almost random seeming, they're not random, but they, they can seem pretty random scythes coming towards you. Um, you know, flailing my whip around was 
sometimes quite useful for uh, the projectile. Yeah, defense. if you if you flip it around your character, you can stop a lot of them before they hit you. Yeah, and yeah, so other uh, contemporary thirty-year-old niceties include a controllable jump arc. Well, hey, I mean, again, for me, like going back to the eight-bit games as we've done for the show, and uh, you know, abuse save states to get through them and things. That was some of the stuff that I found the most archaic and frustrating is the the rigid jump arc the fact that you can uh do uh do a little bit of uh self-saving here and adjustment on the fly is just yeah this is where 16-bit gaming kind of i i I hold it in my heart above 8-bit gaming for for reasons like that i'm not saying there weren't any 8-bit games where you had a controllable jump arc but it was it started to become more commonplace in in this era a separate button for sub weapons, so you no longer need to push up and attack, thanks to the functionality of the uh, the, the mighty Super Nintendo controller. Uh, whip grapple as well, yeah. So swinging about the place, um, to me, it's still yeah surprisingly kind of workable. That you can swing left and right on the D pad to gain some momentum, and it's not too. It's it, it seems pretty friendly and and generous about kind of jumping off at the end every time i do it now i'm just you know every time it 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 happens i'm thinking hey this is actually a lot more controllable and accurate than you you think it's going to be you can change your the the length of your whip kind of mid swing if you need to um so that's yeah, I mean, it's kind of almost surprisingly uh, adaptable to mm. whatever you really need for it to be. Um, yeah. I will say that it, it, this is a game, and, and this I don't think is necessarily either a good or a bad thing, but it, it is something that I noticed. Simon feels very dense in this game, like mm-hmm. very high gravity kind of. Like it, there is nothing floaty about his jumps. He is, Agreed, he yeah. is, he comes down with, with, like a rock dropping like yeah. he's you know where you're gonna land uh Plummets. and as long as you're you're knowledgeable about how to control that uh then then that's not a bad thing but uh but yeah he's it's very it's very um uh final i i, I think i would say yeah it retains uh the game still retains some of those scenes where you just uh there's there's just it, it's not consistent on this because there are some vertical stages where you can drop down but there are others where if you drop off the bo- if you drop off the bottom of the screen and there's there is no scrolling down that's it and and that can happen very quickly some of those sort of spinny trapdoor tiles um demand very quick reactions i would say yeah. uh i was uh last year i think i was playing it on a friend's um super nt or analog super nt uh connected to just a regular flat screen and those trapdoors really did me in, you know. Like yeah. we f- figured out because of the the modern screen uh, that the uh, and the the HDMI uh, connection that yeah you pretty much have to press much earlier than and the the input lag to press much earlier than you're you know, right. you're used to to yeah. to not drop down in a, into the pits. I think for me, like I think I. I'm I'm playing in sort of as low latency mode as I can on the M2 versions. I don't think it's too bad, but um, I think it, partly it feels faster than it did to me because I'm remembering the PAL, <laughs> the PAL version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One other cool thing about the whip swimming, sw- swimming, swinging is that uh, as soon as you let go, it's the the 
position where you let go, you do a little bit of an upward jump from that area. It's almost like That's a little it. extra double jump, which yeah. gives you usually... A, and then, of course, coupled with the directional movement while jumping, it gives you uh, yeah, a lot of um, malleability to correct where you want to land. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprisingly flexible. And and I guess it's these it's these things which which have people, you know, talk about the approachability or compared to the the 8-bit games. But for me, I would, you know, it for me it's an enhancement of playability. Yeah. Uh, overall, like uh, you know, absolute, you know, uh, stalwarts of the the 8-bit games may disagree and that's fine, but um yeah, for me this is the stuff that I I crave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One one thing uh, that uh, is highlighted, especially with the whip swinging is, and this is one thing that maybe also, like you were talking about earlier, kind of belies the 8-bit roots of the game, is that uh, Simon has relatively little animation frames, you know, in yeah. his walking animation and his swinging animation especially. Mm. It's just like these uh, kind of jarring, stiff-looking transitions between uh, poses. Yeah, I think um, we've seen this. We've we've covered a few games from around this time with uh, things like Super Shinobi and stuff like that. And actually, you know, we remember our memories. The our, the predominant part of our memories is the, is the size of the characters. Yeah, and I think in terms of animation frames, they were still quite the 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 characters were bigger, but they they still had sort of eight bit amounts of animation. We hadn't yeah. quite got to the got the idea that actually the sixteen bit era could bring us more fluently animated characters as well and they again put all the animation into his whip yeah the, the <laughs> yeah. whip is very wiggly yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I, I remember a friend of mine uh, who wasn't much of a gamer just coming by my house back in the days when we had the game and kind of commenting on the stiff animation and he was comparing mm. it to prince of persia on the pc which is of course well of course a very different style of uh, yeah, yeah. yeah animation yeah Yes, um, and he's talking a bit of smack about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, there were beautifully animated eight-bit sprites as well, and yeah. I guess it's all about sort of uh, priorities and prioritization and having to memory constraints and things like that. But yes, I certainly looking at uh, yeah on the, the the Shinobi games we've covered recently and and the Castlevanias. That is an area where, especially when you play these modern kind of uh, retro revival games that are designed to look like 16-bit games or or, or that era uh, like i don't know sonic mania or one of those where they they massively elaborate upon mm. the animation um what's that recent uh rpg star one i think you've been playing it leah the one sea of stars is it yeah sea of stars yeah yeah that's another one where it's like it's got 16-bit era graphics but because they don't have to worry about cartridge sizes the animation is so lush and so yeah, lavish the animation is very smooth and yeah. it, it's it, it's it looks like a game that could have been made back but it, it does not play like that yeah really. right right uh a crouch walk as well is a new thing um yeah. as is the moonwalk which uh which is great fun <laughs> uh you, yeah. en- you usually end up doing it by accident um yeah. walking backwards you- on the stairs that's it. You can now, uh, if you hold up when you jump onto a staircase, you can actually stay on the staircase instead of automatically jumping through it unless you approach it from the foot of the stairs or the top of the stairs, which again is uh, is nice. Yeah. Gives um, gives players, uh, certainly some of the stages, which are a, a series of platforms and staircases, it actually gives you a, a little bit more choice in how to approach them, whereas 
the 8-bit games, both handheld and uh, home console that we've spoken about before, the, the paths through these levels are very, even more rigid than here, I would say. Yeah. Alex Stoller from our Patreon says Super Castlevania 4 takes everything great from the first and third games in the series and wraps it up in a prettier, more palatable package. I really enjoyed my playthrough of the early games in the series a few years back, and this was the highlight. It looks great even now. The animation of the main character is cool, and the bosses were fun to fight, although none, aside from the final one, were overly difficult. This is easily my favourite of the linear platform-style Castlevanias. So yeah, the slowdown is, as with so many early Super Nintendo games, it's there, um, particularly when I think the most noticeable is when there's those enemies that smash into four when you break them apart sort of little rock monsters are they in the underground caverns yeah, yeah the um, they're like golems or something that's Mud it. Men, and when there's like four of those on screen plus another yeah. couple of things like it, it and then really they spray chunk. off little rocks when you hit them with the whip that's so it. it's it's even more <laughs> yeah um i mean obviously we we're coming to it now in 2023 we know it's a 30 plus year old game um I don't, but even, even that, I, I like, I, it, it's almost charming in a way. Like it, it didn't bother me. It, 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 the point is it never caused me any difficulty, pain, no, death wise. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't hinder and it doesn't help right. either. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think there's a bit, so one of the bosses is, uh, is a double headed Hydra dragon type thing. I think there's a bit of slow down there. Um, but that also, for me, when, when that kind of thing happens, it always brings to mind those kind of games that felt so epic because they were slowing down this, what we, we thought of then as incredibly powerful hardware, which I know sounds sort of like, you know, excusing, but I guess, yeah, I don't mind the fact that they were pushing the hardware, especially, yeah, the early SNES games, they really hadn't kind of worked out how to optimize around the limitations of the, the CPU, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's just unfamiliarity with the new hardware. You see that in uh, in that whole first generation of Super Nintendo games, uh, which is. But I think it's cool that uh, despite that, the game seems to be moving. Uh, seems to be firing on not all cylinders, but definitely most cylinders. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, there's no real holding back, or there's no uh, you know, there's no reservations or anything like that. So what else do we need to talk about? Levels, I guess. Uh, any memorable standout levels, either visually or in terms of design sections that you loved or hated? Leah? Um, I am not really a fan of the clock tower. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's primarily because I feel like it's, and this is not necessarily unique to the clock tower in like just this game because there's a lot of other games um castlevania wise that have clock towers that are tough um but i i felt like this one had a pretty high probability of things being thrown at you from directions that were very difficult at least for me to dodge like what i'm thinking of specifically is those um it's the the wheels, like the cogs that kind of come mm. bouncing down. I had such a hard time with those. And then once you get up towards the top, um, this might not even be in the clock tower portion, but it's definitely in the tower. And there's kind of um, uh, 
mini platforms that are scrolling upward and oh, if yeah. you stay on the wrong mini platform for too long then you're going to get crushed under spikes with no and warning and I, I found it difficult to get through those until i'd done it a couple of times so yeah like, those are definitely not... trial and error yeah yeah mm. so i and i mean there's I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing but uh given that the rest of the game is pretty um forgiving and and like it's you can kind of work your way through it even if maybe you haven't played it before yeah i agree yeah 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 it it just it it, that to me stuck out as something i wasn't a huge fan of it Um, felt felt like one of the game boy games or the or the or the the, yeah a little bit bits of the nes games yeah um, what I did like was, um, I, I actually really liked the, uh, when you actually get into the castle. Um, so just kind of seeing what a, a, a pumped up version of Dracula's castle, like it, it's yeah. not a one for one remake, but it is, mm. y- you know, you can tell that this is supposed to be the same area and the same, uh, kind of introductory corridor that you you have seen before except now it looks better and you know you you can kind of see some of the details that maybe were not as Mm. um uh were not as uh well detailed (laughs) as they were uh here glinting i like the the treasure area i thought that was nice yeah that was also fun um also one of the places where the uh the lag and the slowdown was was yeah. pretty significant just because there's a lot of gold everywhere that is kind yeah. of sparkling <laughs> off yeah, and yeah. a lot of transparency ghosts flying uh, flying over the uh, whole scene as well yeah the, there's a transparency layer isn't there which um yeah. which obviously they decided was worth the slowdown <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i think maybe maybe developers now would have made a different decision or something but yeah uh, i mean uh, yeah the the, the use, obviously they they'd never had to they never had to be, been able to play with transparencies and stuff before, but it's such an obvious fit for a for a game like this, you know, mist and ghosty things and magical effects and whatever else. Yeah, it must have been so exciting as a developer going from eight to sixteen bit. You know, oh, yeah. da- daunting, but like, yeah, this, obviously, this game is full of all these little experiments with yeah. the different graphical techniques and everything, and that's why every stage feels so distinctly different from the, from the previous one as well. And when I talk about the stages in this game, um, I don't talk about more, you know, the interesting challenges they present or, you know, how they're laid out or, or their obstacle design, mm. but more about the general atmosphere and the little details that they contain. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, um, indicative of the way I approach this game and, and, you know, my overall sentiment about it is that I love the whole journey through the castle, the preamble, you know, again, being on top of that rope bridge and seeing far into the distance, using mm. your imagination a little bit, of course, to look over <laughs> the landscapes and the scrolling dark clouds, uh, going through the caves and then finally arriving in the castle and the castle itself being almost like a theme park or fairground ride sort of haunted uh, haunted house kind of affair you know with these translucent ghosts and all these weird little details in there like the the library and the sort of the art gallery come to mind with with just overall kind of weirdness like glowing eyes in uh, in statues uh, that otherwise you know don't serve any purpose yeah. except for for decoration mm. and all that um yeah it's just it's it's a it's a continuous uh, kind of, uh, 
yeah, a little, sort of spooky journey full of little little marvels and atmospheric things. There's that gargoyle right near the start, isn't there, which has glinting coloured eyes. And I don't yeah. think there's it. There's nothing, there's no secret to it, is there? It's just, no. made, it's made to make you think, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, even uh, I think in the uh, sort of torture chamber area before the castle with the rotating chamber and all that, uh, you have these uh, skulls that follow your movement and yeah. also, who also have pulsating glowing red eyes, you know? It's, uh, yeah, there's so, so much cool little detail in there, which I, which I really enjoy. Apparently there's a secret which appears, I don't know how you get it to appear, but you know those little dog enemies? Yeah. Apparently there's one you can kill in a certain way or in a certain place and somebody, his master comes on and mourns him? This is what happens. So I, right. uh, on the sound test in the game, there was always this music track, uh, which I couldn't place, uh, I couldn't link to any of the stages. Uh, and then f- later on, when I was looking up the OST on uh, YouTube, I might have been for that Sound of Play episode that uh, me and Leah did, I found that track again and it said Secret Room. And I was thinking, Secret Room? What Secret Room? So mm. I started looking up more on YouTube. And uh, in the uh, first dining hall area with the dancing ghosts appearing, you know, the, the sep- not the couples, but the separate male and female ghosts. Yeah. There is an area where a, a ch- uh, where those chandeliers come crashing down, which is very haunted house, of course, as well. Classic. Uh, and um, if you break the floor tiles there, which don't look like your typical square breakable tiles, you uh, open a staircase that goes down... And there's a treasure room with tons of uh, bonus pickups and, uh, and items in there. Lovely. And there's a uh, dog hopping around oh. uh, and an old ghost with a lantern walking around. And if you hit the dog, it uh, howls and then falls down in a, a little pile. And then the old ghost man uh, yeah, sort of uh, floats his way over there and then sort of kneels over the dog corpse and starts, uh, we- starts uh, weeping over it. Too sad. Yeah, very sad. I've never been Very sad little tale. But yeah, that's just another one of those things. Like, I, I never even knew that until a couple of years ago that that was in there, even mm. though I had played the game quite a bit. And yeah, just one of those incredibly charming details that uh, just makes this uh, this game so special for me. Talking of sort of hidden bits, obviously the, the, the smashing away at blocks, the edges of, of walkways and wherever... Um, to find uh, sometimes it's just a heart often it would be a, a bit of uh, the fabled wall meat yeah. um, for health but there's also those uh, power up icons or tokens which they seem to be very sporadic throughout the game and pretty well hidden um, again I guess if if you were yeah, you mean you, the double or triple uh, yeah. power up icons yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I mean I, I don't I only find one or two of them on a routine kind of play through the game. I believe yeah. that if you manage to keep your sub weapon for long enough without dying, mm. um, it it's yeah. I, I mean, there are there are definitely random places where you can find the power up icons, but I believe that it's also connected to how many enemies you take out with right. your sub weapon. Mm. So I, I don't know how many it is. I don't know what the number is, but if you kill like a certain amount of of enemies with like the the axe then eventually one of them will drop one of the the power-up icons it's there just is that, very uh, tough because you know yeah. if you get hit it goes away yeah. i guess it's not if you get hit but if you die yeah 
there is that uh, area before Dracula where uh, you know if you drop down um, instead of taking a, taking the stairs, you can jump all the way down into what looks like the abyss, uh, and then you. I knew there like, had to be something. Uh, a there. million, a million power that's ups, how including I beat the cross, Dracula. the double, the <laughs> triple. And you, you really. Boomerang. That's how I've always beaten Dracula. You really mm. make short, short work of him because maybe you I knew throw, that was there back in the day. You throw triple crosses all the time through through the room, and then you just focus on destroying the fireballs that he puts <laughs> out. You know, because I was going to say, like overall in this game, I felt like sub weapons weren't as key a part as they were in the eight bit games. In terms for the of bosses, like, they're good. For the bosses, they're yeah, good. Yeah, because I, we, you know, remember locking bosses into place with holy water and stuff in the 8-bit games. That isn't quite such a, a thing here, but... No. Um, but having said that, yeah, again, if if you are good and want to get good. So I guess the thing the thing about the game is, again, in, in the sort of development of how difficulty is approached, we're already at the point now where limited continues were less of a thing so here you've got infinite continues and you've got passwords or passcodes yeah i would say overall um health is a bit is taken off in less kind of brutal chunks overall there's a lot m- more chicken a lot more warmy yeah replenisher health with yeah right yeah. it's very all accommodating that, all that stuff um but yet yeah, as as we keep saying still you know possible to die and end up redoing whole sections over and over again until you've learned it. And and there are bits, like Leah mentioned, the cogs coming down the clock tower, where if you, the first few times, or maybe the, yeah, at least a few times, you're going to just not know where to be when that happens. But there is a place, there is yeah. a safe place. And it is about learning by failure and, and coming back and, yeah, doing what our friend Ben would do and just play it a hundred times until you've got the muscle memory absolutely locked down. Um, yeah. But most of us, you know, I don't think kind of commit to playing games for quite that sort of length of, of time anymore. And obviously we don't have to because you can use save states and whatever else if you want. Um, but I actually, you know, I always like the idea and, uh, I'm, you know, I feel proud to have completed this uh, on original hardware back in the day. But it probably is stuff like, yeah, I, I didn't remember about delving into into an abyss before dracula i was thinking there's got to be a sub weapon on the run up to dracula right yeah um but it's not on the critical path so it's hidden no it's it's hidden yeah yeah cheeky yeah. so the thing is when i'm playing through this game i can uh rely reliably just kind of uh one credit up until the torture chambers or the dungeons with mm. the uh, green goop which is blood in the japanese version oh yeah uh, and that that is where all bets are off and where you know i have to sort of relearn and rememorize bits and you know just mm. sort of re-imprint them in my brain oh yeah this was the way how to get through here because that's where and the funny thing is because um the enemies in the game especially up until that point are almost trivial in many mm. cases because of your multi-directional whipping, because of you being able to hit them through platforms before you even get to their mm. position and all that. Um, it's it's almost like, you know, this is still 8-bit Castlevania level design, but because of your uh, yeah extra abilities, it hasn't caught up to your, what you can do as a, as a player. And... Um, but that... that 
area is definitely a turning point and especially a, a real sticking point is which really got me good uh the, the last playthrough that i did as well is that area with the very hard to read disappearing and pla reappearing platforms uh that also have like spikes from the ceiling uh dropping mm. down uh on you you know it's like it's a ridiculously mean bit out of nowhere yeah it, it it's all already hard to sort of you know read the pattern of those disappearing platforms but then you know not being able to stand still uh and having those uh those um spikes drop down on you it's like the first time i felt like oh yeah i remember you kind of just have to keep moving here oh no that wasn't it i just died that and it makes it. you on every success on every successive uh attempt it makes you more insecure of what you were supposed to do there you yeah. know and you you start dying even more and spikes uh, are still like basically as as bad as a plummet aren't they you know they're, they're... yeah they'll 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 knock you they'll knock you down there yeah. it's, it's those lan lances they're, they're not insta kill spikes but they might as well at that point oh those game, yeah know? okay yeah yeah they're the ones that come the sort of lances that come dropping down um mm. and th that's the thing like only until late in the game enemies start becoming troublesome you know because the platforming is becoming more challenging and, and troublesome yeah. so it's really this game more than the other the previous uh releases is way more about uh yeah the the the, the bulk of the challenge comes comes from the platforming and mm. uh and not so much from fighting enemies which uh yeah it, it it's a very it's a very weird difficulty curve that uh it's just mm. very gradual nothing much is uh posing much of a challenge and then all of a sudden you start hitting these various brick walls and it's even feels the game in many places like there's almost there's more thought that went into the environmental design than in the placement of enemies because a lot of mm. enemies uh, as i said you can just take out before they're um become a problem and there's even a few enemy placements i noticed on the last time like those skeletons for example that just you know instead of hopping over a platform onto your platform they're they're just the platforms are positioned in such a way that they'll just straight up hop into a pit instead of yeah. uh, getting over to your it's side. a video it game almost, tradition yeah but it almost feels a bit sloppy you know not like it hasn't it been does. fully measured there and but it's something we embrace uh, in uh, whether it be golden axe or demon souls i'm always happy to see an enemy just <laughs> ditch just itself and jump into, i regret into nothing pit, yeah. over the side yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> bring yeah. it on especially if yeah. you get a, if you get the points anyway which i don't think you do in this but yeah. um so there are there are some sort of again some I suppose, uh, I mean, it seems crazy to call it legacy at this stage, given that this was early 90s, but um, some sort of arcade style stuff in that you still have a, a big old score meter at the top of the screen. Everything gives you points. This game is not just about progress. It's also about scoring. And to that end, you get extra lives. Yeah. Uh, you start Which with, is uh, helpful if you want to go yeah. for uh, uh, a 1cc, of course. Yeah, and there's a few... Uh, Again, in keeping with the series, there are a few random hidden one-up tokens throughout the game, but not many, just like a few, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how many, but... There's one if, uh, one uh, before the uh, Paula Abgul and Fred Scare boss fight. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the US names, I should say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. translation team had some... Had some fun in the manual. Um, Great boss design though, there with the uh, scrolling background and the music and the, mm. yeah, them sort of fading in and out of existence. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the pairing you, you never thought you'd see. There's uh, a, a, again, we may have mentioned this in in the previous shows, but uh, the other thing about the the collection that you can get on current and last gen systems is that there's a digital booklet. Uh, which includes uh, scans from the manuals and development staff and interviews and all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's a really nice little extra resource. Um, although I guess a lot of the information is also out there on the internet. As usual, I've found some nice making of videos and and uh, speed runs and stuff in, in putting this show together, which are all worth checking out. I suppose we should have a little section specifically looking at bosses. Whereas uh, I think I would say in earlier Vanias from from memory, really only maybe the first boss is not too difficult before they start getting really like specific about what you need to do and where you need to be. Whereas in this one, I would say there are three or four bosses that are quite generous in terms of you can pretty much kind of not know the sequences and kind of muddle your way through them. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say at least that. Um, yeah. There, I found there's they like to do a thing where the boss itself is not the real threat. It's that when you hit the boss, a bunch of little stuff then drops mm. or sprays open or whatever. Clips you in the um, ankle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you just kind of have to... Uh, to dodge things uh and that's kind of the primary issue with the fight rather than the boss itself and yeah. well, well worth remember remembering as i'd forgotten that dangly whip is uh is a pretty handy shield hmm. there is a uh there is still a, a <laughs> again a sort of i always think these this series of games has a slightly odd attitude to collectibles like talking about the one-up tokens and those power-ups there's like an invincibility vase in this game, but it just like appears about once every five levels and lasts about four seconds and then yeah. it's gone again. Like, what is the point? It's, it's like, hardly a, hardly useful, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's odd. Um, as long as you do the very important thing of uh, catching the orb, orb. midair <laughs> yeah. um, and while striking a cool pose with your whip, um, that's, that's important. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a shame it doesn't reward you in the way that um, which of the the ghouls games that we covered, Ghosts and Goblins, actually kind of congratulates you for catching the key in midair. The Castlevania games don't kind of reward you in the same way for catching the orb in in midair. No. Which is the, re the reward is entirely intrinsic. It is. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, and yes, there's a, there there is a as we mentioned right at the start, Leah did the uh, there is a sort of boss rush towards the end uh which yeah could could be a bit demanding I, I i can't actually remember how far it puts you back in that instance uh checkpointing wise if you if you fail i think slugra the f sort of uh skeletal skexy <laughs> skexy looking uh boss yeah, yeah. um pretty mean and uh gog and magog the uh winged demons uh, you mm. have to do those in one go. Yeah. But then if you continue uh, at death, you start at death again. And if you continue at mm. uh, Dracula, you start at Dracula again. Yeah. So it's so fairly again, generous there. Not too yeah. bad. Because, yeah, a lot of people... And you get a lot of chicken wings in between them or chicken legs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. All meat. Yes. <laughs> candle meat. Candle meat in that sense. 
Jobo Bonobo says this is meant to be a bit easier than the NES trilogy. And that that is true for most of the game. But my word, does it really turn the heat up on the level before Dracula, where you face three bosses in a row with death being just as hard as I feared? My strategy was to hide in the lower left corner and wait until he was above me so I could whip death and his scythes. It wasn't easy, but I managed it eventually. The fight with Dracula itself was also no joke where it took me a while to figure out how to whip him without being attacked by his fireballs. Uh, interesting nugget. Factor 5, developers behind uh, the Turrican games on the Amiga and uh, the Indiana Jones game on the Super Nintendo and the Rogue Squadron games on the N64 and GameCube. Uh, they actually created a short demo of this Castlevania running on the Mega Drive and presented it to Konami. Konami was impressed but ultimately chose to keep the Mega Drive development in-house and didn't pursue porting the game to the system, according to Wikipedia. So, yeah, as as Konami did in that era, we got distinct separate games for Super Nintendo and Mega Drive, leading to a number of interesting comparisons. Uh, and, yeah, I think the next game we'll probably cover in this series will be the Mega Drive Castlevania that wasn't by Factor 5. Andrew Elmore, once again from our forum, says Super Castlevania 4 is a fascinating expansion of the original game. It's got problems, but they only add to the sense of charm for me. The sprites are too big. The freeform whip renders sub-weapons nearly redundant. All the hardware tricks of the new console may be awe-inspiring to behold, but they drag the frame rate down to a crawl. And above all, the game is flat out much easier than any other entry in the series. But those are all things that I love about it. That's the game's personality on full display, warts and all. It's a remarkably honest video game, making no effort to hide its flaws. I love that it's more than happy to let you just walk around and hang out, with many spaces being relatively minimal on enemy threats and environmental hazards. There are so many fascinating experiments on display in Castlevania 4, both technical and artistic. There are entire aesthetic directions tried in this game that really don't come back in the series going forward. Konami was certainly making an effort to try out some new ideas to see how they play out. There are so many of those ideas crammed into this game that even if a mechanic or art style isn't working for you, you'll be onto something completely different within a minute or two, and that truth stays consistent for the entire runtime. Super Castlevania 4 is short, awkward, strange, and a bit on the easy side, but I love it dearly. Taken as a whole, it may fall somewhere in the middle on a ranked scale of Castlevania games for me, but I do think it's an excellent game and a must-play experience for anyone interested in action platformers. As always, I love Andrew's feedback and correspondence, but I wouldn't call this game short for a, an action platformer, personally. Um, what's the... What's, I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the, the how long to beat would be for most people. Um, but it's I mean, ten I think it could be short. It, it probably just depends on how good you are at it. Well, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it's um I think It is that... longer than the uh than the NES uh Castlevania, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh thirty nine. Shorter minutes... than three probably. Oh would definitely. be my guess. I don't I don't know. I haven't timed it. Yeah, I've got one speed run here at thirty nine minutes forty three, but that's a like a pro speedrunner doing it. Um I would Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't time myself. How long to beat has it at uh main story four hours? Which is, yeah, I'd say that's uh, for a 16-bit platform cartridge. I'd say that's 
I wouldn't say that was short, but yeah. I mean, short compared to a lot of games and certainly modern games. Um, but yes, it did have passwords and infinite continues and whatever else. So. Who else we got? We got uh, Mr. Ixalite. Who says, about 13 years ago, I resolved to try to play through the Castlevania franchise and Super Castlevania 4 was the first on the docket, reasoning that it might be representative of its NES forebears, but slightly more accommodating. And right off the bat, this is certainly the most formidable Simon Belmont has ever been, capable of changing direction in his jump midair, whipping in all directions, and most impressive of all, jumping onto stairs. This makes the game so much easier than its pre-Metroidvania franchise siblings, yet, much like Shinobi 3, it also makes the moment-to-moment gameplay fun. And yet, this is also one of the most atmospheric and broody games in the series, with a distinct and eerie soundtrack serving as a counterweight to the breezier gameplay. The game is no slouch graphically, either, and I love how the extra horsepower of the SNES is put to use rendering more varied and fresh settings Rather than just sprucing up the many woods, caves and parapets of its forebears, we also get stables, torture rooms, libraries and treasure vaults. Everything 100% sells the idea of being on a journey to track down and kill Dracula. I still think the game holds up very well and is an easy recommendation as a starting point for franchise newcomers. Who knows, if I hadn't opted to try this game first way back then, I may not have 23 Castlevania games under my belt by now. Fair play, Mr. Ixalite. That is a lot of Castlevania. Is that all of them? I'm not sure. Um, I guess that includes like some of the PS2 era 3D ones, and maybe the N64 ones. That's a lot. Fair play to you. Uh, Don't know. Yeah. Don't know how many we're going to end up doing in this run, but um, yeah. As usual, we also have some three-word reviews. Follow us on social media, at Kane and Rince. It's Hayes Hill says, it defeated me. Hmm. Played in Japan says, not quite Rondo. Agent Corduroy says, enticingly, stylishly difficult. Robin Hoodie says, spookiest SNES soundtrack. Chris Atwill says, mode seven magnificence. And Josh, one-on-one, says, whip it good. I think that's a Devo reference. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here we are. Another Castlevania down. And let's summarize what we think. Do we recommend it? I'll go first. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this was, as I say, really my first proper Castlevania and actually that does make a lot of sense as Mr. Ixalite said I think it in some ways is good as we've done in this run of podcasts to start at the very beginning and you get to see the development and the uh, the process of adding uh, mechanics and uh, and capabilities to your protagonists such as they are uh, throughout the series but also yeah this is where I started and it kind of makes a lot of sense for exactly the reasons that Mr. Ixalite said. Um, For me, uh, I think I would probably say that I still prefer, like I think Symphony of the Night is is a more enticing prospect in terms of size and depth and challenge and all that stuff. Um, But as a kind of straightforward, linear, start-to-end, 16-bit horror-themed platformer, 
there's so much fun to be had here and for me yeah the uh, the thing that really elevates it is is the soundtrack uh, along with the fact that it avoids some of the the things that i think a lot of us now find frustrating about 8-bit era games design uh there's some of that still in there some of that 8-bit dna is definitely still present i think in some slightly messy graphics and and that sort of thing. But overall, there's loads of fun here, loads of creativity, loads of experimentation. If the Even if the development team was suffering through crunch, they clearly uh, suffered for their, for their art and uh, and ended up with a, with a pretty fantastic product, which, yeah, absolutely still, for me, one of the highlights of the, the 2019 Castlevania Anniversary Collection and as such, absolutely worth playing if you complete it on uh, Xbox or playstation 4 5 or uh steam you get a nice little trophy or whatever achievement to show you've done it as well which is nice and uh then move on to the next one and maybe we will but yeah uh i like it i like super castlevania 4 it makes me quite happy Aaliyah. So one of our correspondents, I think it might have been Andrew, mentioned that they thought that Castlevania 4 would probably, if you were trying to like rank your favorite Castlevania games, might be in the middle for them. Mm. And I think that's kind of where I land. Um, but that said, the middle of a list of Castlevania games for me is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like this series, and I think that Castlevania 4... Well, it's maybe not, in my opinion, the strongest Castlevania game or the one that I'd go back to the most readily. I I do think it still holds up. I still think it's absolutely worth playing, especially with, you know, even if you are not interested in having much, if any, pushback, you know, you can play one of the versions, one of the many versions that have the ability to save state wherever you want. So, you know, it's it's it can be as frictionless as you want it to be in that way. Um, but even if you don't want to do that, if you want to just play it straight, I, I think it holds up that way as well. Um, there are some sections that we've mentioned that are pretty tough and and can present somewhat of a challenge, but I don't think that it's as um, head-banging against the wall difficult as maybe some of the other Castlevania games can be sometimes. Um, so it's it's decently approachable, and it's fun to play. It has good music even if it's again not my favorite it it still is obviously really good um it looks great it plays well and um like i said i think i think it holds up so uh yeah especially if you um <laughs> it's listen that that castlevania collection and i'm pretty sure that this is the same thing that i said the last time i was on a castlevania show that castlevania collection is really good and it has a lot of stuff that that you can really sink into regardless Mm. of whether you've played these games before or not. And uh, I I think that it's really, really worth it. And I am happy to have played it again recently. And um, yeah, looking forward to continuing on with the series. And often really cheap. Yes. And are we going to do Kid Dracula? We probably should, shouldn't we? I did play that after I, I can't remember, I think I might've had to drop out of the Castlevania three show, but I, after I had finished the the playthrough of Castlevania three that I did, I played through kid Dracula and it's, it's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Kawaii, chibi Drac. Right. Uh, yeah. Let's finish up with, uh, Mikhail. Yeah. Um, I agree with a lot of, uh, what Mr. Ixalite and Andrew Elmore have, uh, written to us. Um, 
this is maybe uh, the earliest example for me, Castlevania Forest, of a um, game that's almost more experiential than your traditional, I'm going to uh, meet the challenge head on and, and brave mm. all these challenges and, you know, um, yeah, uh, like like I'm going to use uh, my uh, all my mental and uh, high uh, uh, eye hand coordination um, skills to to get through this game bit by bit, and just a, a really enjoyable romp that never fails to entertain with that contains so much. Um, yeah, so much detail and charm and fantastic music. Uh, always imaginative visuals and and environmental designs. Um, and for that reason, it might not be the game that I think is the absolute best Castlevania, but it probably is my favorite one out of the bunch. Despite all that, funnily enough, you know, mm. like uh, it's not as tightly or as well designed as a lot of the other Castlevanias, but just super enjoyable to play um and it you know having said all that it also made me a little bit disappointed when i finally started playing rona of blood that i could that it was just the old binary uh straightforward whip attack uh again that i couldn't swing my whip in in different directions and i would have liked to see a continuation of super castlevania 4 with the more flexible move and attack schemes uh, but then a game that's maybe more properly designed around it you know what i mean um if you look at all the other castlevanias that came out after it even the uh, metroidvania ones the your main melee attack has always been kind of like binary like do you you know is it a do mm. you attack or do you not attack you know or maybe you can duck and attack and that's about it um yeah it, it boggles or it it, it you know, it really sort of, um, yeah, plays into my imagination. Like, what would have happened if they would have continued on this path and and create a linear arcade action style Castlevania where everything is properly desi- designed around your move set? It uh, might have really been something. Do you not include the Mega Drive and Rondo of Blood in those? No, because uh, they have a more binary uh, right. move set again. You know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. There is there are some other special moves like Rondo of Blood has the backflip for for example mm. and the item crash, but there's none of the multi-directional attacking or multi-directional yeah. whipping thing in, yeah. in there anymore. Yeah, would have been interesting, interesting alternate timeline perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there must be any number of kind of uh, what what's the word tributes now out there. I mean, we covered Bloodstained, for example. Um, yeah, I wonder if any of them, like, none of them, none no. of them, uh, kind of uh, follow up Castlevania Four. Huh. Maybe some, maybe a, a nice task for some kind of developer to. Uh, yes, try Rikil, a, a spiritual you at, sequel. You busy at the moment? The list is growing uh, <laughs> of con- the concepts and design documents. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, uh, that's a relatively uh, brief and economical show for Super Castlevania Four. Uh, hopefully we said everything you wanted us to say. And if not, don't forget to correspond with us and we'll include your comments in podcasts coming up. Just remains for me, Leon, to thank Leah, Mikhail, editor Jay, and our correspondents for this one. Plus, of course, you for listening. 
Next time, an announcement in issue 589. In a change from our previously advertised schedule, we have postponed the Rogue Squadron, Rogue Leader series, Rebel Strike being the other one, uh, into probably next year's volume of podcasts for a number of reasons. So instead, you can enjoy Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> 